0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, God, for that living hope. We thank you, God, that you have brought us to a place of salvation. And I thank you that you have allowed us the choice. I praise you that given the choice, many of us in this room chose salvation, knowing the sacrifice that you made, knowing that we have no hope but through you. As Corey brings the word this morning, Anoint him with the truth, with your Holy Spirit. Help him, God, this morning to convey the message of the cross. For it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thanks, guys. Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10 today, but it's going to take a long time to get there. So you've got plenty of time to turn. Uh, So go ahead and be turning there if you want. I am excited to get to fill in for Michael. Since he didn't invite me to Hawaii, this is the next best thing. Let me come in and and fill in. Uh, We are studying, as you know, Galatians 5.22. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And we've gone week by week, I've kind of been calling it Scripture Fest in Sunday school, but we've gone week by week as a church, all, everything we do is centered around Scripture, which is a really exciting, awesome thing. Every ministry has things that their ministry is built around Our college ministry, kind of our our main thing that we're built around, that we structure things around all week, is the fire and ice retreat. When we go and learn how to have a quiet time and we snow ski and have that fellowship time together, a lot of times youth group will be built around False Creek. And I love that as a church, we have built built our summer around Scripture. And that's so exciting to me as we study the fruits of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And today, the fruit of the Spirit that we are talking about is patience. And I'm excited to talk about patience because it's not something that comes real easy to me. And you know, it's funny, some things it's easy to be patient about, and some things it's really hard to be patient about. I had been waiting 27 years for the Cowboys to win another Super Bowl. And you know what? If I got to wait 27 more years, I'm gonna, because they're my team and I can wait on the Cowboys. But you know what? I am constitutionally incapable of waiting on my wife to look at dresses in Dillard's for seven minutes. I don't know why, but when I stand in that store and she's shopping and she's turning those little hanger things, My heart just beats fast, and time stops. I mean, the earth doesn't spin. What is it, Hezekiah in the Bible who prayed for God to stop the sun? Well, I'm praying for God to make it move again, because it just won't. And my heart starts beating, and it's been that way my whole life. My mom would take me to the mall. I had to live through the two things I hated the most. One, I had to shop with her, and two, I had to eat a Chick-fil-A. That's what they had in the mall. There were no vegetables, no beef, and little bitty portions. And I know it's not Christian to not like Chick-fil-A and I think they're great people, but I want some onions. You can't get them there. So as a kid, I learned a skill that I still use. It's really helped me with my marriage, but I learned this skill as a child. When I was about eight years old, this movie came out called Red Dawn. And in the movie Red Dawn, Red Dawn, The Russians invade the United States, and all of a sudden, they're just coming down out of the sky in parachutes with machine guns, and they're taking over the country. And there's a group of high school kids that fight back, and they hold off, and they're the Wolverines. And that movie came out when I I was probably eight or nine. I wasn't supposed to watch it, but my brother took me to see it. And so from then on, I realized when I'm at the mall, and there's a lady in my life shopping whether that's my mom or my wife, I look around and I think, if the Russians invaded today, what could I fight them with in this store? Right? Right? Is it a coat hanger? Is there anything behind the rack? Could I use that little thing that takes that ink tag off? What could I do? Now, some stores, Hobby Lobby, that one's fun. There's all kinds of stuff. Dillard, you got to be creative. Sometimes the best you got is I could grab that person's walker and hit somebody with it. I mean, you don't have a lot of options. But patience is not something that comes easy to me. And what we're talking about when we talk about patience in this context, in the context of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is a little different. Patience is the ability to wait on God. Patience is the ability to wait on the Lord. Now, in Sunday school today, we looked at Psalm 27. And Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And we spent some time in Sunday school going through Psalm 27, and it was what I would consider a positive, a proactive look at things we can do to put us in a better position to be patient things that we can do, skills that we can develop to help us be more able to wait on the Lord and whatever He's doing in our life when we're scared, when we're frustrated, when things are not going how we want. And today we're going to go a little bit negative this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the problems with patience in our life, some of the obstacles we face that make it hard to be patient. And we're going to look at what Scripture says that we can do about those, about the things that make us impatient. And you know, when you talk about waiting on the Lord, the problem for most of us when it comes to waiting on the Lord is we want to kind of do things ourselves because it's scary to wait on somebody else. It is scary to put our faith, to put our trust in someone else. And Cade gave me permission to tell this story. So I wouldn't without his permission. But when he was three years old, back when I was, I was the city judge, the traffic judge here in Chickasha, we were having a Haven late night. And so Cade and I went early that afternoon and we're setting things up and I'm airing up tubes and that type stuff. And he's got his life jacket on. He's kind of supposed to be playing on the beach. And the sea is just pulled up on the shore, just sitting there. Well, the wind picked up or whatever, and Cade's sitting on the Sea-Doo playing with things. And I look out, and the waves had come up, and they've washed him on the Sea-Doo out to the lake, Chickasha Lake. So I throw down the air pump, and I run, and I go to get him, and the waves are picking up, and the waves are picking up, and he's halfway right into the middle of the lake before I get to the shore, and I jump in, and I'm swimming after him, and and, and I'm swimming, but the waves are are just pushing so hard, and they're they're going in such a way that, you know, waves ripple like a pond, and so the way it happens is he's going this way and I'm kind of going that way. And so I'm trying to swim to him and it's not working. I'm getting further and further away. And he's three years old and he's standing on top of the the seat. Dad, 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 goodbye, dad. This is the end, dad. And Kay, just wait on me, wait on me. And he said, it's no use, father. I must save myself. (laughs) He always called me father when something was serious when he was a kid. He just got a... I I think he thinks of me as Darth Vader. So, he, uh, Father, I must save myself, and he jumps off. So then I've got my three-year-old going this way, my Sea-Doo going this way. I try to swim to both, and I'm just exhausted. I don't have a life jacket on. didn't have time to grab one, and I'm going. I'm thinking, how am I ever going to get here? And I'm going, and there's this guy smoking a cigarette in his truck in the parking lot at the boat dock. And this dude opens his door, runs down the parking lot, runs down the boat dock, throws his shirt off, throws his shoes off, throws his cigarette out, does this Aquaman jump and dive, swims like Michael Phelps across the water, gets Cade, brings him to the shore so I can get to sea I come back, I thank him. I said, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And he said, no problem, judge. I have traffic court on Wednesday. <laughs> But sometimes we want to be like Cade, and we say, it's no use, Father. I must save myself. And we just jump in the water. And we've got to learn to trust God, because trust is the enemy of impatience. And doubt is the enemy of patience. God calls us to trust Him. You know, Bill Parcells said, I will probably tell you who Bill Parcells is, because if you don't know, your life's not good, and I'm going to fix it. Bill Parcells, not a great guy, but a great football coach, and he got mad and and at Robert Kraft that owned the New England Patriots. and He left the Patriots. Uh, they were fussing over the draft picks, and they asked Parcells, "Why are you leaving? You just went to the Super Bowl this year. Why are you leaving?" He said. If he expects me to cook dinner, he ought to let me buy the groceries. And he walked off because he wanted to have a personnel decision. And I always thought, man, that's a great quote. Yeah, you got to cook dinner, you got to buy the groceries. I want to buy the groceries. I thought that until one day I had to go buy groceries. <laughs> it's really hard to do. Elizabeth was out of town. and We were having this football and cholesterol all night for Haven. And I told her, I'll just go buy the stuff because I always cook the, the manly food, the chicken wings and the sauces and stuff. But I hadn't bought groceries really since like I got married, like 18 years. And so I spent like an hour and a half looking for lemon juice. Trying to find lemon juice. And I look everywhere. And then, then I see Renee Williams in the store and I say, You've got to help me. Where do I look for lemon juice? Because I tried to ask like the people that work there, and I guess I'm scary looking. They run, they don't talk to me. And so I asked her, Where where's lemon juice? She said, with the juice never occurred to me that lemon juice was a juice. It sounds good to say, I want to buy the groceries, except we're not good at buying the groceries. We're not good at trusting God, because we're not God, and we can't do His stuff. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans 2, the requirements of God's law are written on the hearts of men. The requirements. The things that we're not good enough to do on our own, they're written on our hearts. We know that. If you ever feel inadequate, it's because you are. It's because I am. Because we're not capable of handling things on our own. And if you take a look at this world, you'll see that just what's written on your heart is evident in the world because not only do we know that we can't do it on our own, that the requirements of God's law are written on our hearts, that we can't be good enough on our own. Look at this world. Look at the problems. Go to Walmart and walk around or I don't pick on Walmart, Six Flags, wherever. Walk around, look around. Go to the hospital. Turn on the news. Look at the stock ticker. The problems we have in this world are bigger than you and I. We can't swim fast enough to save ourselves. All we can do is wait to be rescued. And we have to realize that we have a God who is faithful, who says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. Think about Him in all your ways, and He will guide you on the right path. You've got to learn to trust Him. You know, if you ever, if, if you were to take your kid to a theme park, and you kind of want to get to that part where they ride some fun, scary stuff with you, let me make a suggestion. If you ever get a chance to go to Universal Studios, it's a great place. I can remember the first time we took Cade. I a little bit of kid, like just bare, in fact, my dad combed him, he, my dad's a barber, fixed him a big spiked haircut so he was tall enough to ride all the rides. And, and so he wasn't really big enough to do it, but we pulled it off. And I can remember we are riding Spider-Man. It's just a little bit more intense than I had remembered from being there when I was a kid. And I think, ooh, this is a bad parenting moment. I kind of messed up here. So I lean over to Cade as, we're, as you're on the ride and you fall off this building and you're, it's kind of scary. And I think, this is going to be bad. He's going to be scared. And he said, don't worry, Dad. Spider-Man going to get us because he trusted Spider-Man because he knew Spider-Man. And if you want to take a kid somewhere that they can do something scary but know it's going to be okay, they trust in Optimus Prime. They trust in Spider-Man and Captain America, those type of things. It makes it easier. Well, Spider-Man's made up. He's fiction. But we can trust in God with all of our heart. And when we learn that we can't trust us and we can trust Him, by default, it helps us learn to be patient. So the second thing I want us to learn, the first was we're impatient when we don't trust God. The second thing is impatience can be a symptom of idolatry. Impatience can be a symptom of idolatry. It says in Ecclesiastes 5.10, the one who loves money is never satisfied with money, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income, because this too is, there it is, this too is futile. We trust sometimes in other things, and we wonder why we can't wait on God, because we're not waiting on God. You know, when I used to coach football, little fifth and sixth grade football, it's amazing how often a kid come off the field, and that's really, really hard. When you go from like scrimmaging where you're on the field and you're coaching them and moving them around to the season starts and you've got to be on the sidelines. Back to that trust thing, it's hard for me to be on the sidelines. But every single year, there's a kid who runs off, off the side and they come up to me and they say, Coach, Coach, I just made 10 tackles. Well, that's not good, because you're playing offense, right? But kids think you line up, and they think your job is to tackle somebody, even though you're supposed to be blocking. You're playing offense, but they miss the point. And so often, we don't wait on the Lord, because the Lord is not what we're chasing after. In fact, it's very hard to wait on anything when you're chasing something else. Let me say that one more time. It's very hard to wait on anything when you're chasing something else. We're called to prioritize God, to seek after God, to be willing to wait on God and to know He's better, His plan is better than whatever we can do by saving ourselves, by jumping off that boat and swimming here or there, because wherever you swim to, It's not as good as where God wants you to go. Because God has a plan for you. And when he is what we seek with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and he's what we prioritize, and he's what matters, then we don't want to chase this or that or that or that because it's not God. People ask me, I really like to go snow skiing. People ask me all the time, won't you ever snowboard? Because... It's at the mountain, and if I'm at the mountain, I can snow ski. Why would I ever do something that's not snow skiing when I can do something that is snow skiing? Snowboarding might be wonderful, might be great. I'm never going to know because I'm going to snow ski every second that there's a mountain with snow that I can be there because that's what matters to me. I'm not going to give it up for something else. When we pursue God, when we're passionate about God, when we yearn for God, When we prioritize God, our relationship with Him, the fruit of the Spirit that we receive that grows in us when we're with Him, we don't seek after other things. We don't trust in other things. We don't pursue other things that take us outside of His will. So impatience can be a symptom of idolatry. And the cure is to prioritize God. Next thing I want us to talk about is anxiety can be the enemy of patience. Anxiety can be the enemy of patience. So often we can't be patient because we're nervous. Our heart's beating fast. We can't sleep. We're sweaty. We're we're distracted. We're discontent. We're worried. And there's a scripture that has changed my life on on, on many occasions. 1 Peter 5, 7 I don't wanna get into it. Everybody's had problems, everybody's had struggles. But there've been some things in my life, particularly when I was a young boy, I was a, well, so when I was nine years old, they gave my dad six weeks to live. And uh, so, and the way they told me, I, I came home from school and my dad had taken this encyclopedia and opened it up on the bed and wrote a little note that says, I've got this and here's how long I have. And just left it on the bed for me to read because it was kind of a hard thing to talk about. So I came home and I read it and I struggled. And just every day when I came home from school, it was going to be, well, is my dad alive or not? And I was worried. And uh, praise the Lord, he will be 81 next week. But he never got better, he just just never died. God's just blessed us and taken care of him. That, But I would get so nervous and so scared and so worried. And what am I going to do? In 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The idea that I can give those troubles to God because he cares for me was such a blessing. The concept that he wants me so much that He wants to take those burdens, take those troubles, help me so much and gave me peace. But you have to cast them. You have to literally give those to God and then move on. If you say, God, I'm giving this to you, and then you sit there and just stare, that's not casting those anxieties. It's moving on. And that's hard because you have to let go. You have to give that to God. I can remember I ran track when I was in high school, not because I liked it, but because my football coach told me to, and I did what Coach Warner said. And so Coach Warner put me on this relay team, all the relay teams, and we go to these track meets, and I hate track meets, because you like do something for four minutes, and then the rest of the day you sit on a towel. It's horrible. And so I'm sitting on a towel, and I'm watching these other relay team things practice, and I notice every other team has their fastest Athlete, their best runner, as their anchor. 400 relay, mile relay, doesn't matter. Their anchor is their best athlete. Well, I was our anchor, and I was not the best athlete. It was like three track guys, and then they're like, we need a fourth guy, let's make Kirkland run track. That was me. And so I go to Coach Coach Warner, and I say, Coach, I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but I think Bohat, our fast guy, he needs to be our anchor. He's a lot faster than me. All these other teams, they have their best athlete as their anchor. And Coach Warner looked at me and he said, Kirkland, can you look me straight in the eye and tell me that you're capable of running hard and handing that stick to somebody else at the same time without falling over? (laughs) Truth was, I couldn't, because handing it off is hard. But you got to work at it. you got to work at giving that to God, at letting Him have what He told us to cast off to Him. And those things are hard. So those are three little tricks, three little obstacles to talk about when we deal with patience, when we're trying to wait on the Lord, just a checklist in our mind. Am I struggling so much because I am anxious about things I should have given to God? Am I struggling so much because I trust me more than I trust God? Am I struggling so much because I prioritize Something more than I prioritize Jesus is this thing I'm waiting on God to fix more important to me than the God I'm waiting on to fix it. But sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes it's not an idolatry issue or a trust issue, anxiety issue. Sometimes we just miss the boat. And I want us to look at a story of maybe the biggest tragedy of impatience in human history. And by the biggest tragedy of impatience in human history, I mean there were some people who had an opportunity to be a part of God's plan in a way like nobody else in history. And when things started out, they really dropped the ball, really dropped the ball. And that's where we're gonna pick up today in Mark chapter 10. And I'm going to read to you Mark chapter 10, verses 33 and 34. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, listen, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And... He will rise again after three days. Jesus told the disciples that it's about to be a time when the chief priest takes me and he condemns me and then he turns me over to the Romans and they condemn me and they put me to death and they beat me and they flog me and they scorn me. But don't worry, three days Set your clock, set your timer. You know when it happens. Get your popcorn ready. Three days, I'll be back. Three days. He told them what was going to happen verifiably and how long it would take until things got better. How long to wait? Very seldom in my life has God said to me, wait 46 hours. Never happened. Jesus told them three days. Days. Seventy-two hours. Wait. Three days. Three days. What'd they do? Well, we know in Mark 1450, they fled. We know in Mark sixteen eleven that after Jesus was resurrected. And they came and they came to tell the disciples, Jesus is resurrected, he's back. We know in 1611, He they did not believe. They ran away and hid and they didn't believe. When God told them, here's what's gonna happen. Just wait. How do they miss the boat that bad? How do they spend their life with Jesus? Their life. See him work miracle after miracle after miracle. And he has a heartfelt, serious thing. When you say, hey, guys, they're fixing to take me and murder me, but I'm not going to stay murdered. That's not like a conversation you forget. That's not like, hey, can you pick up milk on the way home? Oh, I forgot. I'm sorry. It's not one of those. That's a big deal. Huge time. And they missed the boat. Totally missed it. Forgot. How did they forget to wait on the Lord? How did they fail to wait? Why did they run away and not believe? Well, I think that passage gives us some reasons why. I want us to look at the next two verses, 35 through 37. It says, and this is exactly after the period when Jesus says he will rise after three days. That's where we left off. The next sentence says, and then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, teacher, we want you to do something for us if we ask you. What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. They answered him, allow us to sit at your right hand and at your left hand in glory. So they said, Jesus said, they're fixing to murder me, but don't worry. Three days later, I'll be un unmurdered. And they said, hey, Jesus, when you get to heaven, can we sit at your right hand? Because we're fussing over it because there's 12 of us and you only got one hand. Who gets to sit at your right hand? They were worried about who gets the credit. Now, they did it in a Sunday school way. I love this because this is the kind of thing I do too. Like we all, we're manipulative, manipulative when we pray. We're, we're weak. We're, we're flawed. I, when my dad got sick and I told you, my little brother Ricky, when we told him, he said, well, dad, when you die, can I have the tractor? And sometimes that's how we deal with these news. And that's what they did to Jesus. They said, Well when you're in your glory, doesn't that sound like real spiritual? When you're in your glory, Father, can we sit at your right hand? And they're fussing over it. Oh, he said I could sit at your No, no, I can at your right hand. They're acting like they're giving God the glory, but they're worried about them getting the glory. And I don't even think I'm not even giving the credit of they're worried about like eternity glory sitting next to Jesus. I think Peter says, see, John, it's me. James, they do not even like you. It's me. They're fussing with each other. Who gets to sit by Jesus? And they're so worried about their place in the hierarchy, their place at the table, their place in the kingdom, that they don't even hear that the kingdom is coming. They don't even hear that they're going to be a part of the greatest rescue in human history. They miss it because they're worried about where they're going to be. I quoted First Peter 5-7 earlier, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You ever notice when you come home from work and somebody you love is there and they're excited to see you, to hear about your day, to talk, maybe have you read them a story, whatever, It feels good. I missed you. Welcome home. Welcome home. When somebody says that with a sincere, genuine smile, that'll change your whole day. It can make a bad day a good day. Just that smile of someone you love. How about welcome to Walmart? And somebody's getting paid minimum wage to tell you that when you walk in the door. Does that make you feel good? No. All right because they don't care for you, right? That's not because they care for you. It's because this is part of their retirement plan. It's for them to stand here and say that to people when they walk in the door. Walking to Walmart means nothing. Why we do what we do matters. God is a relational God. God made us as relational beings because he wanted a relationship with us. He wanted to... Be with us. And he wanted us to enjoy him. God made us relationally because why we do what we do matters. Some of y'all heard me say the difference in a hero and a villain is why they're swinging the sword. Why we do what we do matters. And God calls us to serve him. For his glory, not our glory. And when we're worried about our glory and us getting a credit and us sitting at the table and us being the one we look to, then we miss the point. So what do we do instead? Why do we struggle with this? Well, there's another problem, too. And so not only were they worrying about who gets the credit, who gets the glory, but I want to keep reading. I want to skip down to verse 42 now, 42 and 45. This is what Jesus says to them after he talks to them, after they fuss about who gets to sit by Jesus. This is how Jesus responds. In verse 42, he says, Jesus called them over and he said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the gentiles dominate them and their men of high possession positions exercise power over them but it must not be like that among you on the contrary whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to all for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So while they were fussing over who gets to be where, Jesus says what they should have been doing is serving. They should have been serving, helping other people, making sure they got to the table, making sure that they were glorifying God by serving their fellow man, by willing, being willing to be last. Because we have standing orders. And so often the reason... We can't wait on God is because we're standing instead of obeying our standing orders. We're just sitting around watching other people work, watching other people do things when God has things he's called us to do. Now, sometimes we have things that God has specifically called us to do. Sometimes God speaks to us and he shows us specific things he calls us to do, people to reach out to, tasks to do, ways to worship him. Those type things. Other times we just have standing orders, things that God has always called us to do. He's always called us to glorify God. He's always called us to share the gospel. He's always called us to live out the fruits of the Spirit. Always. Those are our standing orders. If you don't know anything else, go glorify God. If that's the only thing you have, if you're a point in your life, you read a quiet time and you feel like, I'm just not getting anything out of this. Well, just go glorify God. My football coach, the same one who told me I was too dumb to be anything but the anchor, he used to tell me this. I'd forget the plays a lot. He'd say, Kirkland, just hit somebody. Just hit somebody. And sometimes that's all you know to do is just don't really hit people spiritually. But obey your standing orders. You know if you don't have anything else to do, go love somebody go we'll share the gospel with somebody. Go glorify God some way, somehow. And it's amazing when we do that when we're busy, when we're working, how easy it is for the clock to pass, right? When you have a busy day, the day goes so quick. In fact, even in heaven, Isaiah 65:22 tells us when we get to heaven, we're going to have stuff to do. Some of us will be given to plant crops, and some will be given to build houses. We're going to have jobs. Even in heaven, God doesn't want us just sitting around being lazy. So maybe the reason we can't wait is because God doesn't intend for us to wait by staring at the wall. Figure out what your orders are until you get new orders and do those. Now, cool part of this story is Jesus still was resurrected, even though the disciples ran and hid. Jesus still pursued them, and he came to see them. And he said to Thomas, Thomas, you, you need to touch my hand? You can. He said to Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. He got it right with them. He let them get right with him. And we've all had failures of patience, and we're going to have more. And God is there for us. And we grow and grow and grow step by step like fruit in a garden. Patience grows in our lives, and we can be more like him. But there's one more aspect of patience that I want to talk about today. See, all these fruits of the Spirit, they're things that make us more like Jesus, Because all this stuff, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, all those things are descriptions of Jesus, every one of them. That's why the Bible can say we we rejoice in our suffering, because suffering builds perseverance. Perseverance builds character. Character builds hope, and hope does not disappoint. Because character is what happens when we become like Jesus. That's what character is building character, is becoming like Jesus. And I want to talk about what it means that Jesus is patient. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, that he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance." 2 Peter 3, 9, "'The Lord does not delay His promise, His some understand delay, but He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance.'" And I know in a room this big, there's somebody Jesus is waiting on. I know in a room this big, there is somebody right now that Jesus is patiently waiting on. That He is calling to salvation. Now, that's a fancy preacher way to say it. There's somebody in this room that Jesus is saying, surrender. I'm waiting on you. Surrender. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. Confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord literally means, God, you're my owner. That's what Lord means. Owner. More than boss. You execute a possessory interest over my person. And when we do that, When we own Jesus and he has dibs over us, then he becomes our rescuer and we can wait on him. But it starts with Jesus waiting on you. And if you're here today and you know right now in your heart of hearts, your heart is beating and you know that you know God says, I'm waiting on you. And maybe you have felt his call for years or maybe just minutes. But you know, there's never been a time in your life when you said, God, take me. I am yours. I belong to you. Take me. And Jesus says, I'm patiently waiting. It's time to answer God's call. It's time to thank Him for His patience. It's time to surrender to Him. And in just a moment, we're going to pray a prayer. We're going to sing an invitation song. And if you're here and God is waiting on you and He's calling you to surrender to Him to say, God, take me. I'm yours. I'll be up front. I'd love to have a chance to visit with you. Brad's either going to be leading worship or also up front. Come talk to us. The most important conversation you could ever have. Maybe God is waiting on you for something else, and you just need to do business with God wherever you are. Maybe you need to go to somebody in this room and make something right. Maybe you need to get on your knees and pray or sit in your pew and pray. Whatever God's patiently waiting on, do it. And if God is calling you to wait on him, take hope. Know that you can trust him. Know that he is more important than anything else that you could ever see. Note that he can overcome any anxiety you face. Note that his glory is more important than who gets the credit here on earth. And figure out what God wants you to do till he does what you want him to do or what you think you want him to do. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for this pulpit, for this opportunity to share your word. God, thank you that you have been patient, that you haven't come back to earth until at least this minute, because you love us and you care about us. God, if there's any that you're waiting on in this room, draw them to you. Give them the courage to take that step. God, if there's any that you're calling to wait on you, probably that's most of us, help us do so. God, I pray that right now during this invitation, you would move, that you would be mighty, that you would show yourself mighty in the face of your people, and you would bring yourself glory, because you're the most important thing. We pray this in your name.